Welcome to another edition of The Rock Show with Rocker Mike. My name is Rob Rossi, and this is The Rock Show. Today is April 14, Sunday. We're at the Eyeball, and we're talking about the clash. And, um, Mike, I just want to bring you up. You were going to talk to us about uh, something you forgot about, the bond, where they went and played in bond, the bond club. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I'll get into that in a little bit because I want to talk about London Calling because right. they did those shows in between the two albums we're going to talk about. The two so yeah, but definitely there'll be a whole part on that, Bond shows. So this group, The Clash, they started off like like very punky and their style changed from from the, from where they started to they were there. They're very different sounding group. Yeah, I mean, last week we talked about the first two albums, which is straight up punk rock. I mean, these guys were, you know, one of the originators of punk in the UK scene. And... Um, you know, the first two albums are, are, are classic punk rock, but then they decided to change their sound a bit by London Calling. Now, you know, like I said last week, I kind of considered like the bands two different bands. It's like everything up to London Calling is one band, and then everything after that is another band. Um, when they started. Uh, and the, and the group changed also some of the guys that played well, not, uh, London, London Calling they still had that lineup from, from the first the two but uh, there were some changes that did come up later on which I'll talk about um, around uh, August September 1979 they started recording London Calling and um, it was a bold effort pretty much for what they were going to do it, it, they were going to make a double album and that hadn't been done before in the punk scene at all Okay, there's no bands up to that point that really tried to make a double album. Back in the day, that was a difficult thing for any band to do. Even the Rolling Stones would get pushed back from their record companies if they were to make a double album. Because it costs more. It's twice as much. Yeah. Basically, you're pressing twice as many albums. Now you've got to pass that cost down to people. And, you know, uh, they, were a, you know they were about to break out. This album really broke it for them. So the record company, CBS, was a little leery, and they said, look, we'll take a pay cut, okay, just to get this double album out. And the company agreed, so they made the album. Uh, it was produced by Guy Stevens, who was known for uh, some of the early Mata Hoople records um, before David Bowie was involved with them. Uh, and uh, that meant a lot to uh, guitarist and singer Mick Jones because he was a huge Michael Hoople fan. Before he was in The Clash and uh, before he was really in music as a teenager, he used to follow Mata Hoople around. He was in like this gang called the Motlot and they would follow Mata Hoople all over the country when they, when they played. So it was a lot to have Guy Stevens make an album for him because he produced the Mott albums. But... Um, uh, they did have some problems when they were making it. Uh, last minute, they had decided to uh, tack on a song called Train in Vain. And that ended up being, uh, I believe, the first single in the United States. But they had already pressed the actual albums. And, and not, not, not the records, but the, the artwork, you know, the, the, the sleeves and everything. Yeah. And uh, they, it's funny because you can, most London Calling albums at the time, the records when they came out, they didn't have that Train in Vain as the last track. Oh, so you didn't even know it was on there until you played it. And so they released that as a single in the United States, which was, that was an interesting thing to do considering it wasn't on the album. So I guess people figured I'll buy the single and I'll buy the album. Yeah. The way to get around it. Um, that actually went to uh, number 23 in the US. That's which, pretty good. Yeah, at that point. So it was starting to really, you know, pick up. And um, the title track, London Calling, which most of us know, I'm sure, 
uh, was released in the UK, and that actually got to number 11, which was, I think, the highest charting single at that point. Um, they, had, they actually had commercial success. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, the commercial success really started with London Calling. Yeah. Um, even in the UK, they had some singles before. We talked about the first two albums, but they yeah. barely cracked the top 20, top 30, yeah, top 40. Yeah, this was the big album. Yeah, um, this was the one that broke it for them. Um, so it was released in December of 1979. It went to number nine in the UK, almost, almost like a bullet right away. Right, and uh, then they waited another month to release it into the United States, and it came out in January 1980, and it got as high as number 27 in the, in the United States. So it was, you know, the, the best-selling punk record at that point by anybody yeah. in the world. Um, but again, you know, they did, they did experiment with different sounds okay you had some some straight ahead punk songs you know i would call london calling a punk song okay um but then you had reggae you had yeah. rockabilly you had all these different styles thrown in um and and i i, I mick jones and and joe strong they had their they had their, their ears to the street they kind of knew what was going on um later on the band would incorporate like early hip-hop and stuff like that into their music too into but, the sound yeah, yeah by london calling they really hadn't done that yet that was that would come up with like sandinista and you know stuff that came later that we'll talk about um now my one of my favorite tracks on it is the track uh, guns of brixton which was a straight-up reggae song, and that was that was sung by Paul Simonon, the bass player. That's always been one of my favorite Clash songs. You know that song, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I might have heard this album like a hundred times. Mm -hmm. right? People were just—it was just being played all over the place. Or where you go to parties, and people yeah. mostly be playing Clash. Yes. And playing like um, a lot of. Um, well, it was a college yeah. record too. Yeah. At the time, I, I, you know, back back in the, in seventy nine, eighty, eighty one, you had college radio here in the yeah. states, and that was actually an edgy thing. You know, they yeah. would play underground stuff. I can remember listening to listening to college radio as a kid, and listening to songs that you never heard on the radio. Yeah. You know, and that was cool. You know, um, now when they. We're looking at the design. The, the actual cover of the album is iconic. Yeah. You got Paul Simonon smashing, yeah. the, smashing the bass. Um, that was actually taken by a, a photographer, an English photographer named Penny Smith. Um, and I think that's just you know one of the greatest album covers. The actual, a lot of people don't realize too, um, and you can like Google this and check it out. I, I, I looked at it the other day and I, I realized how close it was to the album cover, if you just look at the way the, the lettering is and stuff, it's actually exactly like Elvis Presley's debut album. Yeah, if, if you look up uh, Elvis Presley's debut album cover, the way the lettering goes like down and then across, it's exactly like The Clash with London Calling. Oh my and that God. was intentional. Yeah, that they was did intentional. that on purpose. Yeah, they did that on purpose. And uh, at that point, the you know, CBS Records came up with a, uh, a great you know, marketing slogan for The Clash. And I don't know if you remember this. They were called the, the only band that mattered. And I, you know, I can remember seeing posters with that written on it. You know, The Clash, the only band that matters. You that's know? a great, that's a yeah. great and, and, you know, I think it was actually coined by a, a, you know, rock journalist. I'm not sure if CBS made that up. But, uh, you know, they used that everywhere. You saw that on the posters. It was great, you know. The only band that matters. Yep. But, uh, all right. 
let me get so fucking didn't the Clash sign like the worst record album later? They only got like a hundred thousand dollars, right? That yeah, their first their first album they got beat on that. Okay, yeah. but you know because you that, told me that they they took a pay cut to release this album. Yeah, the, well that was that was they had renegotiated they the contract. Renegotiated, so they were okay, some yeah, money because now. they were starting. Yeah, by the time the second album came out, they were starting to have success here. CBS says, okay, you know, you agreed to an outside producer on the second album. You you know the, the tour ended up in the <coughs> states. They did well. You make some money. We'll do this album, but you got to have Guy Stevens. And you got to take a pay cut. Actually, it was there. It was Joe Strummer's and, and Mick Jones' idea to take the pay cut. Take the pay cut. And these guys did that. Um, uh, they 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 would they would probably. I mean, I can't think of really any bands that that would actively do this. They would like keep their merchandising down in price on purpose. Keep their you know ticket prices down on purpose. Uh, just to get the fans in there. Yeah, but you know, that's, that's, that's cool. what it's about. That's, that's what it's what about. about. You yeah. want to get the fans out there. You want yeah. people appreciating exactly. the stuff. You know, you lower the cost, you're going to make more sales. Yeah. It might take double, but you're still going to make more sales. Yeah. You know, and people, yeah. like let's say if you sell a shirt for $10, I might go, you know what? I'll buy two shirts. Instead mm-hmm. of saying a shirt for $30, I can only buy one. But if you set it for the right price, you know, the merchandise, then you get the name out there. Yeah. If you got 100 people with Clash shirt, people, oh, yeah. that? Oh, you know exactly. what? Exactly. Wanna... Yeah. So at this point, they uh, were going to, uh, they got into a movie, uh, briefly, a movie called Rude Boy. Uh, some of you people might have seen it. It's kind of like about a guy that ends up, you know, being a roadie for the Clash, and there's a lot of live footage of them. And it's it's a cool flick. It's a cool little time capsule of that time, 79, 80. Um, they were basically uh, touring like crazy at that point, but uh, they wanted to work on a new album. And uh, again, they were gonna do another bold effort and they were gonna make a three LP album. Uh, that was totally unheard of. Um, a three record set. That's a lot. Yeah. That's uh, a lot for an album. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that they were starting to get a little excessive, in my opinion, at that point. Um, you know, because if you do three records, you could make, you know, it's, pro- it's probably, you're probably better off making, if you're going to do three, you could probably do four good records. You know what I'm saying? You could spread them out. You could take spread them out. Six, take one out every six months. Yeah, yeah. But they wanted to release it all in one shot, and uh, the record company did agree. Uh, and again, they took a pay cut out of their contract to do it. And that album became Sandinista. Uh, that was released in December of 1980. And that actually went to number 24 in the States. Wow. So that was, again, you know, a smash. Now, that album's difficult to listen to, I, I, in my opinion. I mean, and I'm a big fan of the band. It's, it, you know, it's a three-record set, six songs on each side, 36 songs. And that's a lot. Of it's a lot. Song. It's a lot of songs. It's like two and a half hours long. A lot to listen to, and there's a lot of filler. Sorry, Clash fans out there. I'm, you know, I've, I'm a big fan too, but that's really there's a lot of filler on that. You know, and uh, but that doesn't mean there aren't any great songs on there. Okay, because there were uh, another great reggae track called Bank Robber. That's one of my favorite tracks from them. Uh, they did a great cover of um, of uh, a band called The Equals. Song called "Police on My Back." Uh, if you don't know who the Equals are, you probably know who Eddie Grant is. Remember Eddie Grant? Yeah. Electric Avenue, right? Electric Avenue. Yes, yes. Eddie Grant was uh, 
uh, an English Jamaican guy, uh, and he was in a band in the late 60s garage band called The Equals, and that was a good, you know, 15 years before Electric Avenue, but, you know... Electric the, the, Avenue, I remember yeah, that. Remember that song? Never played that all the time. Yeah, and that was a big hit, yep. And, uh, by, uh, you know, th th this band had become really prolific. They wanted to put out so many songs, and they had a new single that was going to come out by the uh, middle of 1981, and it was a new track called uh, This Is Radio Clash. And this is the song that kind of... They introduced hip-hop sounds and stuff into, you know, early rap, like Grandmaster Flash influence kind of stuff uh, into their music. If you listen to it, just the way that Strum is singing it with, um, he's almost rapping that song, right? Rob, you know that song, This Is Radio Clash? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, so, but um, I think we're going to talk about the Bond shows, okay, at this point. Yeah. That's uh, that was another. That was they play. How many days did they yeah. play for those bond shows? What they did is um, they actually played between May and June of 1981. Uh, a place called Bonds, which was in Times Square here in New York. I, I remember that that, that iconic sign like, yeah, over Times Bonds, Square. Right. Bonds. Yeah, exactly. They did 17 shows over that month, and. Um, to me, this is just one of these things. I wish I was just a couple of years older. I would have been there, you know. But I know people that went. I remember as a kid, like, people I knew older than me that were going to that show, to those shows. And uh, what happened was they, um, they oversold those shows. Oh, shit. Okay? And it created a situation early on where these, the, the fire department had to shut them down. There were riots in the club. There were riots on the street, fighting this and that because people trying to get in, they couldn't, they they wouldn't let them in. But that's right. And they had tickets. That's what they called themselves, the Clash. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? You know what? The, the Clash. You know, I I think we've made it clear they cared about their fans. They didn't want this to happen. You know, so what they started to do was, uh, as the, the the later shows came up, uh, they would sell just the capacity. Okay, uh, you know, if it was 500 people that could yeah. be in there, they sold 500, 500 tickets. tickets. Now, a, a lot of a lot of these um, fans that went, oh, you know, they were blown away because that's a, a very intimate show. Okay, there's not that many people in there. You got the whole clash going, you know, all the songs. They were really popular at that point. And um, uh, so many of those shows had been bootlegged too. Oh, I yeah. Can, yeah, I can remember walking into like Bleak uh, of Bob's or like Sullivan Street Records back when those places were there and just seeing tons of Clash bootlegs and they were all vinyl, you know, all for those shows at Bonds. And I think one or two of them actually ended up on WNEW. They were, uh, they were recorded just for uh, Broadcast Live. Wow. On it was a big thing having them here for like, you know, a month. Yeah, you know, it was like having a residency yeah. in Times Square, you know. So that's cool. And um, one other thing they did, I mean, you know, the, the Clash, like I said, they always had their, their ear to the up and coming stuff. Those shows, they had some interesting, controversial bands open up, like the Dead Kennedys open up one night, and they were just starting out at yeah. that point. That was like the first album. Uh, a band called The Fall, uh, they were pretty much new at that point. Um, and Bad Brains, yeah. you know, um, I love those guys. They had one night with The Clash. 
and Grandmaster Flash. That's incredible. also that is yeah. That is so incredible. you know they were they were listening to the latest sounds. They were they were getting influenced by it, and they were having these guys open up for them. You know, so it's cool. We have like Funkmaster Flash. That's a question. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Well, you know, there's always been a, a in New York. There was always a connection between the punk scene and the early rap. You know, I mean, you know, Beastie Boys started off as a hardcore band, and then yeah. they became a rap band. Yeah. Okay, so there's that connection right there. A lot of a lot of punk fans did like the early rap stuff. Some didn't. I think in the beginning there there was a pushback, but but then it just kind of melted together, and a lot of people I like. I think one of the uh, amazing things I heard was uh, Aerosmith with Run DMC. Oh well, yeah, I mean, way. remember that? Yeah, I walk this I was, way. That was yeah, pretty, I mean, that was that was that, that was kick started their career. Yeah, but that was they were dead in the water yeah. at that point, Aerosmith, and then yeah. and then Run DMC comes along and you know gives it gives their career a kick in the ass because. They were dead in the water. Steven Tyler was, was messed up on drugs. Joe Perry was messed up on drugs. Their career wasn't going anywhere. And uh, Run DMC covers their song, sticks them in the video. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're huge. And yeah, they, 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 huge. they were, they, after that, they, I mean, their music sucks after that, yeah. but, as far as I'm concerned. But you, you want to hear yeah. something about Aerosmith? They made more money off uh, Guitar Hero than they did off all the well, fucking albums. sadly, <laughs> that's the state of music today, okay? You know, like, my, my, my kids, you know, I was playing uh, Schools Out one time by Alice Cooper in the car, and, and, and my son goes, oh, I know that from Guitar Hero. Well, I know that from a video game. I'm like, yeah. oh, man. You know, <laughs> but they pay a lot of money to get those. Rock yeah, out. yeah. Well, that's that's the way it is today. You know, rock music or you know, rock and roll is not really in the public conscience anymore, and uh, it's kind of sad. Um, but in a way, maybe that's the way it should be. You know, it should be a little underground. Uh, it gives it a little bit more of an edge. Um, I have no problem with that, really. Just uh, you have to look a little harder for it. You know what it was? That was almost like that's the way the grudge started. It was very underground. It started with Me Puppet and little bands like that. Then you yeah. got Nevada. It's like it's like hair brands didn't go out of style. It's the grunge destroyed the hair brand movement. Yeah, well, I mean, they did go out of style because grunge came along and kicked their ass, you know. And yeah. uh, but you know that's a whole. I think you know what's interesting about that scene is somebody made a conscious decision at the record companies like Geffen, David, you know, David Geffen yeah. pretty much was uh, instrumental in that. Uh, and he must have said, look, we're going we're gonna to put everything into this new sound. And I, you know, I handed it to him, you know, because, it, you know, you started hearing loud guitars on the radio and, you, yeah. you know, you weren't really hearing that. You had, you had the, the hair metal scene, but that was different. Hair metal was different. I still yeah. laugh. I still laugh at a lot of the hair metal it's, guys. That a I, lot of it was stupid. They, they, they fucking bad, got the long hair. They almost fucking going bald. Just shave the fucking thing off and fucking <laughs> let it go. You know, the, yeah. the, the, your better years are done. Just Definitely. shave it off and you know. And then you saw a lot of these hair metal guys like just start cutting their heads and they mm -hmm. look a lot like all right now you look like a fucking human being. Yeah. Before they look like mongoloids. Like mo <laughs> fucking mongoloids. <laughs> That's a word that needs to come back into the English language, mongoloid. So a good friend of mine, Bingo, that comes here, yeah. he had this fucking band, and they were like a rock band, and, and the record album had a choice between the Spin Doctors and his band, and the guy just asked him one thing, um, what can you bring to the thing? And he was so fucked up, he didn't yeah. know what to tell the guy. I would have been like, 
I will make you millions and millions of dollars if you pick my fucking man. Yeah. But he goes to the fucking spin doctors. Oh, man. They suck. Oh, they totally what, suck. What was the fucking song that they, I, I couldn't even remember? They had like one song. If I hear it, I mean, every time I heard that song, I turned the radio off. It just was like. It was shit. It was shit. So, and it's still around. I thought the fucking lead singer died. Did he die? The fucking I, I wouldn't even know. I, I thought they were still around in Bad, some form. They were slapdick motherfuckers. Yeah, Fuck yeah, those motherfuckers. But they were like, shit. oh my god, the yeah, spin doctor. Definitely. I, we can shit on them. <laughs> we should have a burning. We should have a party where everybody bring like a CD of the band they hate hey, the most. And we it. fucking burn it. Yeah, we we'll make a bonfire in the back. A bonfire in the back. All these fucking shit music. With me, it'd be like every Bon Jovi record. Oh my god. Oh god. Oh god. One, of the, one of the worst bands ever. And they made so much money. Oh well, it's no accounting for taste. You know, no, I mean, so you know, that's that, I'm always kind of, I've always been a, a, a contrarian kind of person. You know, I mean, like I, a lot of times things that are in the top forty, I'm just kind of like I listen to it, I give it a chance I, for a second, but it sucks. I gotta tell you, I was a mark for the song um, uh, "Dead or Alive." I thought that was a great song from the By um, Bon Jovi. Yeah. And that wanted that wanted that right? yeah, 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 yeah. And that, but that was from the uh, soundtrack of the. Um, what was the one with the fucking cowboys guys? I think that that like Tombstone was, or something. Yeah, that, one of those that wasn't Tombstone. It was one of those. I even forgot the name of it, which is terrible. But the it was western like, from back in the eighties. It 80s. was like Billy the Kid and all these other guys, these yeah. outlaws. Yeah, 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 yeah. Young guns. Young guns. Was that from that? Yeah, I think yeah, that was yeah. one of the songs. came out around the same time, probably, yeah. It came like, a, and that was one of the songs, and that's the only reason I even liked the fucking song, because yeah. Young Gun was a great movie. I, I could never I could never stomach that band, to be honest with you. But, um, okay, so now we're, we're you know, Sandinista is, their, is the Clash's biggest selling album at that point, and um, they decide, again, we're going to put out another double album. Yeah, the record company and, and their manager and stuff kind of said, no, nah, listen, just do a single album right now. Go do like a back to the roots kind of thing. So they were working on something that was like tentatively called Rat Patrol from Fort Bragg. That was what they were going to call the album. Jesus Christ. And it turned out to be, they changed it and it became Combat Rock. All right, Combat yeah, Rock. Is, yeah, yeah, I guess. Somebody definitely, you know, steered them in the right direction with that. Um, they actually got Glenn Johns to produce that, and he was known for his work with the Stones and a bunch of other people. And um, I always, I always kind of thought there was like some irony in that because in their early song called 1977, they uh, from from the first album, they are like uh, you know no Elvis, Beatles, or the Rolling Stones in 1977, yeah. and there they are five years later using Glenn Johns as their yeah. producer. So, you know, you do have to compromise sometimes and, and no matter how punk you are or whatever, you know, you can't fight but, the world. But you know what? They were making money. That's the problem. Yeah, they were making yeah. money. They, they were trying to do what they do within the system. It's very difficult to do yeah. that. But um, they were actually getting very good producers. These guys are not like yeah. fucking garbage. These oh, guys no, no, are no, like no, no, huge I mean, guys. I mean, punk, you know, <laughs> punk fans at that point couldn't get anybody close to a Glenn Johns. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody would touch him. You know, uh, the only one I could think of Again, we talk about Mata Hoople. Um, Ian Hunter, uh, after he had left Mata Hoople and started his successful solo career, he actually produced uh, Generation X's second album. Generation uh, X, yeah, another good band. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the second album called Valley of the Dolls. 
and he, you know, Billy Idol was a huge Mata Hoopa fan as well. So, you know, Ian Hunter produced that for them. But I, you know, when they got Glenn Johns in 82, that was a big move, definitely. Um, and that album was released in uh, May of 82. First single was Should I Stay or Should I Go? I remember Everybody that. knows that That's song. That's a very popular that was a, that song. Was a, that was a huge hit. Uh, then they released uh, Rock the Casbah. That got to number eight. That was a very in the, that in the was United another... States. Yep, that yeah, was a big hit. Uh, classic song. Everybody thinks that. I mean, you know, even even classic rock stations, as bad as they are, they'll play that song. Oh yeah. You know, uh, or they might. You know, you might get London Calling. You might get Train in Vain. But they always play Rock the Casbah. To me, they my favorite song is the London Calling. To me, that's yeah. like the, that's like a fight song. Isn't yeah. It? Go, go, yeah, I, I love that song. It always gets me going. But whenever rock, I hear it. rock the Casbah is a good because that that's probably one of the most popular. You know how many times they use it in movies, like yeah. drug movies and stuff like that? You know, like, it's fucking incredible. You know, if you listen to the words, and I, you know, it's an interesting song. He's, he's, it really came, uh, Stroman was, was, was reading about the, um, the crisis in Iran in 79. Yeah. Yep. And what happened was the, uh, the Iranian government was cracking down over the next few years on any kind of Western influence in their country. So music was being outlawed, and uh, the clash couldn't be heard in Iran. And he had heard about this, and he just wrote this song, kind of like a protest song about that. Oh, huge protest yeah, song. Yeah, huge protest song. Yeah, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if I, I think I remember hearing something about Iran actually like threatening the clash about it, but I could, I couldn't be, I could be wrong. But I kind of remember something like that, like some cleric putting a word out on him. You know yeah. what I mean? But um, that album, uh, um, Combat Rock, that went to number seven in the United States, and that was their best-selling record ever. And they would have named it that other shit that they won. Oh, Fort Bragg. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, that would have been Fort You know, naming, a, naming an album is a fucking thing that can make you or break you. The name of the album is like... You got to name it something good. You just can't name it shit and then fucking think people yeah, are going to buy it. And album covers, too, album covers can make too. or break a band. Yeah. Um, the New York Dolls, right? Yep. When they did their first album cover, they had them totally in drag. I mean, they used to wear makeup and stuff, but they weren't, like, totally transvestite looking all the time. Yeah. And if you look at that album cover, I mean, you know, the, 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 uh, the major stores would not even, you know, carry that album based on that album cover. So it screwed up the, the sales for that album, definitely. Um, now, like I said, uh, Combat Rock was like their, their best-selling record at that point, but it's kind of like a peak for them. Uh, it was the beginning of the end. They really weren't getting along as a band uh, pretty much after that point. Uh, Topper Hedden, the drummer, had a very bad heroin addiction. Uh, it was affecting his playing and, and everything. And he uh, got thrown out of the band not too long after that album came out while they were on tour for it. They brought back Terry Chimes, who was on the first album. And uh, during that tour, they uh, did, towards the end of it, they did some dates with The Who. Now, The Who were... Uh, Without Keith Moon at that point, he had died. But they were supporting a popular album. Uh, I believe it was the album with Eminence Front on it, and uh, you know who, you know all that stuff. And they played Shea Stadium. Now I was at that show. That was one of the first concerts I ever saw. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was David Johansson opening up, and the Clash after him, 
and then The Who. And uh, that was an amazing show. I still can remember a lot of it. Uh, you know, you could. You know, it, it, it's kind of like. Uh, you know the Beatles for me. You know the, Be- the yeah. Beatles played Shay, so yeah. did the Clash. So did the Clash. You know, and uh, they also got invited to play the uh, the US Festival. Okay, at that point, that was in 1982, and um, Terry Chimes had to leave the band also as you know the drama that replaced Tap yeah, Top. They had a bunch of. And, guys well, what was happening along. was the, nobody was getting along. Yeah, okay, and Strummer and Jones were at each other's throat over yeah, the direction of the band. Their manager was really uh, Bernie Rhodes was really trying to control the band at that point. Uh, he was a little more hands off in the beginning, but he really was trying to control what was going on and the you know whatever they were going to put out. He wanted to be in control of the sound, and it was, it was becoming a problem. Uh, they did the US Festival. Uh, now David Bowie was on that, Van Halen. So you had the Clash playing with them yeah. in the same yeah. bill. Um, and at that gig, they were arguing with the organizers of the gig because they felt the prices were too high, and they almost pulled out at the last minute. But then they did play, but they ended up uh, having an actual brawl with the security <laughs> okay so <laughs> at the US Festival so they played in front of 140,000 people in San Bernardino California um, and that was the last show that they ever did with Mick Jones okay because by September of 83 he left and uh, they brought in you know that you know Strummer was going to keep it going uh, so now you know this was kind of like you know Keith Richards and Mick Jagger yeah. breaking up yeah, really, yeah, of the punk scene. Yeah. Okay. And, but Strummer wanted to keep it going. So they brought in a guy named Nick Shepard and another guy named Vince White to handle the guitars. And Strummer was going to be like lead vocals pretty yeah. much. And uh, by January of 84, they decided to do uh, another tour. It was called the Out of Control Tour. And they also be- began recording their last album, which is called Cut the Crap, yeah. which is. A, I don't know. It's a shit album. They should call it Cut the Shit. shit. Okay. And actually, you know, it's so bad that Strummer, like, disowned it, basically, at that point. You know, he put it in the can. He recorded it. Uh, They had a song on there called This Is England. Uh, When you listen to the mix, it turned out, like, Bernie Rhodes had gone in, like, after Strummer left and remixed it before the album came out. And he put in like these like football style chants and other things. It's just, oh, it's just not a good a song. You know, um, that album was, is pretty much unlistenable. So the band broke up they at that point. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, by uh, 86, the band broke up. Uh, they carried, you know, they did, they toured that last album a little bit. Uh, it, it, it sold sort of well, you know, but it, it really got a lot of bad press. Mick Jones wasn't in it. Yeah. And he was actually putting a band together at that point. Let um, me ask you a question. Are yeah. they in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yeah. the Clash? What yeah. year did they go in? Do you know? Uh, yeah, 2003. Okay. No, I, don't, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, there was some controversy with that. Uh, if, you know, Strummer passed away. Yeah. In 2002. Yeah. He had a heart attack. Yeah. And uh, when they were nominated in 83, uh, I think it was Paul Simonon that wanted to turn it down. You know, he just didn't want any part of it. But actually, the, the nomination, I think, came through before Strummer passed away. 
So he knew he was going to get in. I think he died in December of 2002. Yeah. So sometime a few months before they announced who was going to go in in, in 2003. Because in Niagara, they got that beautiful mirror up here. Yeah, I remember when that went up. I took, I took a picture yeah. in front of that for, just that. For, the, for the show. So I was thinking yeah. that. And some idiot just fucking wrote something on it. Um, wrote like something, kidding. white people killing or, or rich people are killing the country. Somebody wrote something that in it, which is like, why would up. you fucking do that, you why fucking idiot? Why would you idiot? deface the mural like that? Yeah, you know, write, that some, write that somewhere else. It's in a bunch of places, like white people kill, uh, yeah, or rich just, people kill the neighborhood, something, something like that. There's a lot of assholes around here. You know, I mean, just leave that alone, okay? The guy died, okay? It's a mural representing him. Just don't, don't deface it like that. I'm going to be over there later, so I'll look at it. Yeah, look at it. It's on the side. It's like, they didn't deface it, but they just put it one side. They had a lot of yellow, and yeah. they just tensile that thing. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Terrible. Terrible. Anyway. Uh, so... You know, early 86, the Clash were done, and uh, Jones had started Big Audio Dynamite. You guys might remember that, okay? And he put that together. Uh, Don Letts, the uh, DJ reggae guy, yeah. he was in that band. And, you know, they were okay. You know, it, what was happening was Jones was very into, like, you know, the early hip-hop stuff. So you had a lot of that sound in Big Audio Dynamite. So it doesn't really sound like the Clash. You know, it's a different, it's a different it's a very, thing. Very different. Very different stuff. Uh, Strummer... Was was active still at that point? He did a track for the Sid and Nancy movie yeah. in '86, um, uh, the song "Love Kills," and uh, then um, he put together the uh, the Mescaleros, Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros, in the '90s, and uh, they were great. They had three albums. I love those albums. I got to see him one time at Irving Plaza. And it was a great show. Uh, he did a lot of Clash songs, too. You know, I hear something, Urban Plaza. It's a great place to see a show, but they actually closed it for the whole summer. I heard Because I think they're going to remodel and do something. But Webster Hall is opening, like, any day now, like in May. I think they got a few shows. Yeah. And I think it might be, like, Patty Smith. And okay. So they might bring... Uh, well, Patty Smith's playing Webster Hall coming up, I think. Yeah, that's right? what it is. That's what I mean. Oh, you're I talking about Webster Hall? Webster Hall, yeah. No, no, no. I, mean, I was talking about Urban Plaza. Yeah, but yeah. I think he's also playing Webster Hall. Well, uh, Webster Hall, right. Webster Hall just got remodeled. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Those those two Patty Smith shows are sold out, I heard, at Webster Hall. Um, Didn't Sid Vicious beat up Patty Smith's brother? Broke a bottle over his head. Yeah. Ended up back in jail. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what. <laughs> and then you, you don't go see this fuck. I, I, I never liked the person. I, I, you know, I liked the first uh, three, four albums. Uh, I've seen her live, and she tends to rant and rant about things. Yeah. Um, I respect her. I mean, she's a pioneer in the whole thing. She's, you know, some great songs, but I don't, uh, I don't kiss her ass like some people do. Oh, a lot of people kiss yeah. her ass. Yeah. yeah. You want to talk about the show this week that I saw? Uh, yeah, let's do it. How was okay. it? Yeah, uh, Mata Hoople played the Beacon Theater on Wednesday night. And it was a big night for me. I've been waiting my whole life to yeah. see this band. Um, it was the first time they played in the States in 45 years. 1974 was the last time they played. Uh, at that point in 74, they had done a couple of shows at uh, a place called the Eurus Theater in, on Broadway. And uh, they recorded the great... Mott live album that came out like a year later in 75 and what they were doing this time around uh, they wanted to emphasize the 74 album called The Hoople 
And that is the album that has like the golden age of rock and roll and, and Roll Away the Stone on it and a few other great songs. So they were emphasizing that lineup. The earliest stuff had Mick Rouse on it yeah. and Mick Rouse was in bad company later on. And, but they didn't emphasize that lineup because actually Mick Rouse is very sick right now. Yeah. He, can't, he can't play. Uh, but they got um, uh, Ariel Bender on guitar. You had Ian Hunter singing, playing guitar. And you had Morgan Fisher, the uh, piano player on that album, playing the keyboards and everything. And the rest of the band was Ian Hunter's backing band called yeah. The Rant Band that he's had for years now. So uh, they played the Beacon and the Wallflowers opened up. How about the Wallflowers? You know, you know I, I, I never was a fan, okay? I never liked them when they were out. I thought they were lame. But I got to say, I never saw them live until then. I caught the last, like... I got there maybe about halfway through their set, so I caught about maybe four songs, something like that. How did they sound? Good. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, really, you know, I, I, it's not like I'm going to run out and buy the records, but you know, I, I definitely got to give them props. They sounded good that night. They're a lot heavier, and they did a. Uh, they ended up as an encore. They did a cover of Tom Petting, Tom Petty's um, "The Waiting." The Waiting. Wow. Yeah. So, and they did it heavy. You know, it was it was good. It was good. Um, so you know which bands like that, like Social Distortion, where you hear the album, it sounds good, but when you see them live, those motherfuckers are like, yeah, like yeah that's fucking, a live band. Everybody, that's a live see. band. You gotta see. You can't yeah. see that. The album doesn't doesn't even. These guys are nah. like got high energy, yeah. high like it's yeah. fucking it, like the, holy the, shit. The albums are always good, but the, the live experience yeah. with Social D, that no, that is that, that is, is that's the thing. That's the shit right there. Yeah, it's sort of uh, amazing. They have, I haven't seen them in few years i want to next time they come around i'm gonna go they haven't put out any new albums though. yeah but let me know i'll go with you definitely i've seen them a few times yeah they're always good um well i gotta tell you mata hoople came out yeah. right and uh they did um uh it was almost like a recreation of the uh, of the live album from 75 uh ian comes out he does a little bit of the beginning of, of American Pie, Bye yeah. Bye American Pie. You know, and he goes, the day the music died, right? And he goes, or did it? And then the song kicks in. Yeah. They do the golden age of rock and roll. And uh, everybody went nuts. And it went on for almost uh, about an hour and 45 minutes. They did everything, it, it, you know, all the great songs, all the way from Memphis, Roll Away the Stone. They did some of the earlier stuff, you know, because Bowie... Uh, produced all the Young Dudes album, but the stuff they had before that is is very good. And it was a song called Rock and Roll Queen that's from their first album, that's like 1969. They did that, and I was wow. like, wow. When I heard the riff of that in the beginning, I was like, oh man, this is amazing. But uh, the night ended with all the Young Dudes, the whole place was singing it, you know, and uh, they, they did a nice little... Uh, Three, you know, three of them bowing in front of everybody, saying goodnight. And I heard, I wish I would, would have been able to go. I heard the after party was pretty kick-ass. Oh, yeah? yeah Where did like, they do the after party? Uh, backstage. Oh, backstage. Backstage, yeah. They were like, uh, you know, some people did get back there and get to hang out a little bit. But it was like really crazy, I heard. <laughs> it, was the la- it was the last night It was the last night of the show. Now, Ian Hunter's going to be 80 years old this year. He's still And I've got to tell, I mean, I can't emphasize enough that this guy will blow away a 25-year-old, okay? With his energy, his voice, the way he plays guitar. Ariel Bender was was, was ripping it, okay? And uh, he's like almost 80. So, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know? 
I mean, everybody makes fun of old people older. They're old. Oh, well, guess what? They can still play and they kick your ass. Well, we saw Robin Golden. He was old. He was like, what, 70? Was I, think he's 70? Like, I think he's like 75. It was, and it was his birthday, I think, yeah, when we went, yeah. and he sounded fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, look to at the, the point old, they tell the young kid, yo, can you raise your yeah, yeah. body? I'm afraid with these great musicians you had, so we're never going to have this again, and you fucking yeah. raise the fucking sound. Look, I mean, I've. When I was young, I used to think that way. Oh, they're old bastards, you know, whatever. But yeah. you know, now that I'm older, I'm like, I'm like, look, these old blues guys, which is the you know the, the origin of all this music, they carried on into their seventies and eighties. Yeah. So what's the big deal? Just keep yeah. playing. As long as you can go out there, put on a good show, and everybody's happy. I don't care if you're old. Yeah. You know, I mean, everything I like, everybody's old now too. You know, so what are you gonna do? Yeah. Um, so what do you think we should discuss next week? Uh, you want to do a little I, blondie or what do you You know, want? I'm going to leave it up in the air right now. I'm not going to announce it yet because I want to put something maybe a little different together for next week. Uh, we'll talk about definitely yeah, one, one artist. Yeah, one so artist. I'll let you know. So we'll I talk about that. Research, do a little research. Yeah. Get some questions to ask you. Yeah. I might want to have somebody come on, somebody we know. I'll talk to you about it later. Right. All right. And uh, so we'll leave that up in the air for a couple of days. Um, today I'm, I'm sticking around and I'm waiting for uh, the uh, reunion of the A7 bands over at Niagara. That's going to be starting about 2, 3 o'clock this afternoon. These are the old punk band, punk hardcore bands from the early 80s. Um, the Undead are playing and they will be playing about 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, head out there. The show is free. Free, F-R-E-E. Yeah. Okay, so that means you don't have to pay, all right? And it means just pay for drinks at Niagara. Yeah. Okay, and... Uh, and the drinks are pretty reasonable. They don't really... Jack yeah, up. yeah, it, should, it shouldn't like be bad. It, it, it should be pretty crowded in there, too, especially a free show. I think I know the one of the bartender working might be Joni because she does okay. Sunday, so see if there's a little that might be weird that, girl, redhead girl. She's a nice girl. I Joni. think I know who she is. Yeah. yeah. Her name's Joni? Yeah, she's very uh, hippie-like. Like. I think I know who she is. Um, Rapid Deployment, an old hardcore band, is, is getting back together for this show. Uh, there's going to be another one next month also. And I think uh, uh, Vinny Stigma is going to be involved with that. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th th these are cool things. They do them every so often. You know, they do that one punk show that they do outside on Thompson Tompkins Square. Square I got to figure out what date that is so we can put it on, on, on the somebody, schedule. Somebody announced it. Uh, I think it's in June. That's what it but, is. It's but but uh, I'll, I'll talk to... Uh, I'll talk to my friends in the undead because they're playing it, I think. I think, man, we, we could get one or two of those bands to come here that yeah. day just to talk to them and yeah. send them off and do so. I think that'll be good for us. Absolutely, know? absolutely. Um, what I might do today, too, and this is an exhibit I wanted to mention that's going on at the uh, Museum of Art and Design, which is up by Columbus Circle. There's a... Uh, uh, an exhibit called Too Tough to Die, uh, Too Fast to Live, something like that. And it's just about... Uh, you know the punk scene uh all the iconic uh, album covers and things like that it's a big display um at that museum i'm going to check that out maybe today while i'm while i'm waiting for the eight seven right. bands to, yeah. to go on and stuff and uh so if you stay here you don't oh, get lumped I, up yeah yeah if i stay here all day i'm getting lumped up i will i will not make i'll be sleeping in my van <laughs> and my wife will hand me my head so but uh 
That's it. So come down to Eyeball. Maybe, uh, you know, have a couple of drinks before the, uh, the show at Niagara. Yeah, we'll be here. Yeah, we'll be here hanging out. And uh, we'll, we'll make an announcement in a day or two about what the show is going to be next week. Album of the week. Album of the week, yeah. Well, I'm going to say London Calling. Okay. Without question. Without question. Uh, everybody should have that album. If you don't, you're a slapdick motherfucker. <laughs> if you're listening to this show and you don't have London Calling, you better wake up. Okay, uh, it's a classic album. Every song on it's great. Uh, you know, to me, it was like the peak for them. Everything after that is spotty. You know, uh, even say, you know, Sandinista was something that I, I, I never could listen to that much. But over the years, it's it's grown on me a lot. And there are some good songs on there, but it's just a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you just gotta listen to it and it, listen to it. it. It's got, like yeah. a lot of things. It's like so much going on on that album. Like, but oh, London Calling's yeah, a great. Double album, pretty much every song is great. Um, Guns and Bricks, I mean, that's just fantastic. You know. So two week two class job. We had the original self title was the class that's yeah. the album of the week last week, and yep. this is, and this is the, yeah. I mean, these are, these are the things that you know. If you're a fan of, of rock and roll, you got to have these records. Yeah, you know, you cut kind of like missing out on a big thing if you don't have that. I I I, I think in the house, it's like I got the vinyl of the. No, <laughs> look, I mean, it was re it was re you know vinyl's back. We all know that vinyl's back, <laughs> and uh, they re released it. Like a couple of years ago, like a 180 gram, you know, nice heavy vinyl with all the original liner notes and everything, and, and it came out again. Um, definitely get it. Uh, the only thing that you can't get now is they, they when they re release it, they put the song Train in Vain in the listing. Okay. You know, but, but it's on there, so it's okay. All right, so um, how can we reach you and uh, send you emails or what? Because you started yeah, an email I started, account. I started, uh, well, yeah, there's a Gmail account I've had for a couple of weeks now. It's uh, rockamike212, getting lumped up at Gmail. You can email me there. You can also find me on my new Facebook page, um, Rocker Mike Baker. Rocker Mike is all one word, yeah. Baker. Uh, friend me on that. That's going to be dedicated totally to this podcast, totally to music and things going on, the shows. Uh, you can talk to me on there anytime you want. And you're also on Twitter. That people and I'm can on Twitter, RockerMike3, okay, on Twitter. And Instagram, RockerMike212. 212. I think, um, like, um, I think uh, for the Twitter feed, you should start, like, picking, like, a video from YouTube and put it, like, the song well, of I've the been day. Well, I've been doing that. I've been doing a song of the day. I started doing that this week. Uh, listen to it. Comment on it. Yeah. Let's get some conversations going. Yeah. Uh, you oh. know, uh, if there's anything you want me to talk about, I'm, I'll be happy to listen, Wait. and uh, we'll work that into the shows. Yeah, we can do, you totally know, work I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of people are listening to these shows now. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was sitting here yesterday... Uh, lumped up and that other guy Rob he says you know he, we had just met and he said to me are you Rocker Mike? <laughs> and I went I went yeah and he goes oh I recognize your voice you know and I'm like that's kind of cool you yeah. know it's kind of cool so but uh, I guess that's about it today yeah, I think, so yeah. um, remember people don't um, get drunk get lumped up <laughs>